Welcome to the third episode of It Wasn't Me, a True Crime Podcast, where you get to hear us tell you about all the murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we discussed the shocking quadruple murders of four men in a Panama City Beach street strip club. <laughs> this week's episode takes place during Prohibition in Long Island Sound where a man on his yacht is murdered by pirates and his wife and daughter are the only known witnesses to the crime. Our podcast is not recommended for children. We will detail graphic scenes and graphic violence. We will often use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website as at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. Please give us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave us a comment and tell us which murder intrigues you. Okay, so this week I was trying to find a murder that had never been podcasted before, which is almost impossible. All the famous murders, somebody's already done a podcast. Multiple times. Right. So, um, you know, my family and I, we used to watch Rob Deerdeck, and he, on one of his shows, I can't remember the name of it, but... Ridiculousness. Yes, Ridiculousness. So he used to do this random keyword search. So I decided, hey, I'm going to try that. Uh So I typed in pirate murder and i discovered that there is actually a pirate murder that was very famous in september of 1931 and it was the murder of benjamin paxton collings and there is another benjamin collings who was murdered by the notorious albert fish he was 17 years old and he was murdered on december 15th 1932 but they're not the same guys okay so there's two paxton or not paxton but Two Benjamin, Benjamin, two Benjamin Collings. Collings. Murdered around the same time, you said? Yeah, so my Benjamin Collings was 38, and he was murdered in um, September of 1931. And then the other Benjamin Collings was murdered on December 15th, 1932. So a little bit over a year later. Oh, okay. And All the right. same areas, same um, area of New York, okay. around that area. All right, well, I know a little bit. A little. Very little. Bit about Albert Fish. Okay. And he was assistant sadistic mofo he was as fucked up as a football bat okay (laughs) he would insert needles into his pelvis and other regions and for pleasure okay so your pelvis is like your um like in his pelvic area okay like are you talking about his private parts like his balls or something or yeah like yeah okay needles needles okay Uh, Uh, when he was arrested they x-rayed him, x-rayed him, and he had approximately, like, 20-something needles. Holy 29. Shit. 29 needles lodged in his pelvic region. Okay, that's weird. Well, you know what? When I was looking up this murder, I was like, Benjamin Collins, that's just too weird. But I did yeah. read that Albert Fish, like, he was um, abused as a child, but he really liked being paddled and hit. Like, he really, yeah. so he would do things just to get hit because he really enjoyed being yes. beaten. He would Crazy. beat himself even with, like, a nail-studded Okay, that's paddle. whack. I'm sorry, that's whack. Yeah, okay. a nail-studded paddle that he used on okay. himself. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that's crazy. So, oh, well, and he was yeah. a cannibal. Oh, and he was a cannibal. Yeah. Okay. So he is very far removed from the Benjamin Collings, um, my guy. 
He was, um, well, his family and friends called him Ben. He was born in Washington, D.C., but they moved, his family moved to Arkansas, and they were very well off. The dad was a doctor, and I'm not sure much about the mom, but I think she had her own money in her own right. And I'll tell you, you know, later on I'll explain why I think that. But um, they had three or four children, and all of the children were um, sent to boarding schools. They went to very prestigious universities. So Ben was an honor student. He attended Phillips Exeter Academy, which is a high school in New Hampshire. He graduated in 1912. And this high school is the second oldest high school in the United States. So it's like very prestigious. Wow. And it's still, is it still open yes, today? Yes, it's still open oh, today. Wow. Actually, I was looking it up. And if, you, if you're brilliant and you get accepted to this and your family has an income of less than $75,000, then your tuition is $0. To go to this boarding school? To go school. to this boarding school, yes. Wow. So they must really have some um, endowment. Like, yeah. I mean, if it's the oldest high school in the country, then... Well, they sent all of their children to boarding schools. Yeah. And then not only that, but he ended up attending Yale. He went to Yale, graduated in 1960. That's not cheap. No. Uh, 1916. He um, specialized in marine engineering. So he really liked engineering. Um, he liked the water. He, after he graduated from Yale, he started taking graduate courses at Dartmouth, but then World War II, World War One started, excuse me. And at that point, he enlisted as a private, which quickly rose to second lieutenant. So he served oh, wow. in the war, yeah. When he, after the war, he didn't go back to college. After the war, he moved to New York, and he worked on Wall Street as a businessman. He actually did, um, they call it sales engineering. So he would sell um, machinery. He knew a lot about machinery. It's like kind of the industrial age a little bit. Mm-hmm. New technologies coming around. So he would sell these things and help invent things for companies. And he made a lot of money that way. And he saved a lot of money. He didn't date or anything. And um, when he was 30, he met with his sister who was attending Smith University at the time. And he met one of her good friends named Lillian. And Lillian was 21. And according to sources, they fell in love immediately. It was love at first sight. So as soon as she graduated, they got married. Now, her dad is kind of famous in in his own right. Her dad was a famous Boston composer. And he was also the dean of conservatory at Boston Boston University. Nice. Wow. So, yeah, she was... You know, yeah, prominent her, to say the least. Right now, her mom her died own. when she was an infant, so she was kind of raised by her aunts and then her her dad. So she didn't really have a mom, but she, and she was sent away to boarding school as soon as she started school. Oh wow! Um, but she when they ended up falling in love and getting married. Then when she graduated, she moved to New York City with him, where they where he continued working. Mm-hmm. They had a daughter named Barbara, but they called her Betsy. And then at some point before Betsy turned, when she was about three or four, they moved to Connecticut, Stanford, not Stanford, it's uh-huh. S-T-A-M. Uh-huh. They moved to Stanford to be near Ben's family. Ben's brother ended up marrying Lillian, that's Ben's wife, Lillian's uh-huh. cousin. So oh, it's kind okay. of like a family affair. So they were all there. And then Ben's parents also bought an apartment um, in that area 
and moved there also. But, you know, what oh, wow. it was intriguing is that the house that Lillian and Ben moved into is kind of like, um, it was huge. It was uh, almost like a mansion. That was in Ben's mom's name. It wasn't in his name. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, okay. Why it would be in his mom's name. It's very time. progressive yeah. at the time, Definitely. I would think. Yeah. Um, and the parents were still, his father was still alive. Yeah. And, and the they moved there were... to be near the grandchildren and be near the family. And so, that, I mean, they had money. So they had a house their kids lived in and they had their own, like, apartment. And then they had their home in Hot Springs, Arkansas. They sent all their kids to Ivy League schools. So. Wow. <laughs> all right. Um, when Ben was 34, he retired. Oh, wow. That's nice. This is very young. To, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Jeez. Um, he had, sources say, an estimated monthly income of about 3000 to $4,000 a year. Well, that's this a is, lot of money for that time. Yeah, because this is a Great Depression. It's, to me, I don't know if it's a lot of money or not, but it's equivalent to about $43,000 a year now. Um, he loved boating, so he bought a boat, and they spent a lot of time on the water. You know, they didn't have air conditioning in their homes or anything like that. Ugh. So in the summertime, they spent most of the summer in the boat. Okay. So this story takes place in summer of 1931. Actually, it's not in summer. It's September of 1931. Okay. So it's probably a little bit cooler. Well, it was very hot. I actually oh. looked at newspaper articles at the time, and it was 92... 93 on the day that this occurred. So it was hot. Sept- 90 September, in September, September in New York. Night. Yes. Yes. Huh. And they're from Connecticut. So they're um, on the Long Island Sound, which is a body of water. Okay, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an avid scientist. So during the daylight hours, he would sail around a different... It's a, it's Long Island Sound is an estuary. So there's a lot of like sea life. Well, and he collected um, botanical and geographical samples when they were out. At night, they would anchor anywhere wherever they were on the water, uh, and then they would just sleep there until the next day. Oh, okay. I, I need to point out because it's important that the boat lights on this on this yacht were not working. Uh oh, that's a recipe yeah. for a and disaster. And they named this boat the Penguin. Did I say that? I don't even. Know. Uh, you did a, the that's, Penguin. That's an odd name for a boat, really, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe the I daughter, think. maybe Betsy, had a yeah. fascination with penguins. It could be. Who knows? Well, so September 9th, um, they were out, but on the morning of September 10th is when this all kind of exploded because um, they heard an unbelievable tale of terrorism from a hysterical woman who claimed that her husband had been tied up and thrown overboard by pirates. So she claimed that her boat, the Penguin, was boarded by pirates the night before and that her husband was tied up and thrown overboard. And we're not talking, like, you know, Blackbeard here. Um, no. <laughs> no. Now, I, why she said pirates, at that time, I did do a little bit of research that they had rum runners at the time. It was Prohibition. So, they had a lot uh-huh. of rum runners on the water. Okay. Who would go, who would come from Canada to bring um, boot, or illegal liquor to New York. Yes, because it was still a few years before Prohibition was... Ended. Repealed, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, she says that they were hanging out, reading, talking on the evening of September 9th. Their their little daughter, Betsy, had fallen asleep. <laughs> oh, bless you. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Yes. That was not yeah. a girly sneeze. <laughs> that was so dainty. No, no, no. Those okay. Dainty sneezes are out the door these days. <laughs> 
Um, so I just have a question. Uh-huh. No, forget it. I won't ask you. Anyway. Okay, so anyway, they're sitting on the deck. They're talking. They're hanging out. They notice that Betsy's asleep, so they decide that um, Ben decides he's going to carry her down to the cabin. Well, as he gets up and he's moving, they hear something scraping the side of their boat. And they realize that it's a canoe and it has two men in it. And so Ben tells Lillian, his wife, take the daughter down to the cabin. You know, let me just find out what's going on here. So as she's walking down the cabin, she hears the two men. She hears one of the men ask if he can board. Um, She hears him say, we need to tow to South Norwalk, Connecticut. We have an injured person in the canoe. She heard her husband tell him, no, sorry, I don't have running lights. I can't, we're not, I'm not running my boat tonight. And the guy's like, man, dude, I'll give you a hundred dollars. And a hundred dollars during that time is a long, it's a lot of money. Well, yeah, if you only made $3,000 a year. Yeah. Um, again, she heard him say no, but he said that um, he's going to do as he says, or he's going to have some trouble. So at this point, she said that the men had boarded the boat and um oh, she, sorry that's like fourteen hundred dollars today holy cow okay that's a lot of money sorry to interrupt no worries oh, but that's yeah. you know due to inflation of yeah. such and such that's a lot of money yeah that's around. a lot of money yeah. right now someone offered me a hundred dollars i'd take them somewhere yeah maybe well i don't know i don't know it just depends i'm sorry somebody bores my boat at ten thirty and tells me i'm going to do something i think i would be freaking out well maybe a little bit yeah Well, the woman, she was very scared. She said, I was very scared. You know, I was worried for my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, She she tried to come out a couple times, and her husband's like, just go on back down. Go back down to the cabin. Um, At that point, she felt the boat, she heard the boat motor start, and then they started moving. So she couldn't really hear much of what was going on because of the motor. Right. She puts the daughter to sleep. She takes her diamonds off. She had a she had a couple of rings. She mm-hmm. took them off. She stuffed them in her daughter's shoe. So she obviously felt uneasy. She definitely felt uneasy. She was worried about her jewelry, so she hid it. You know, these are pirates. Yeah, and yeah. and like you said, yeah. the pirates during that time they made money by, you know, they were rum runners. Right. They would board and, right, take what was yours. Yeah. Um, she ended up coming up to the deck to see if she could help her husband at any point. And he's like, go back down. It's very important that I do whatever these men tell us to do. So she could tell that he was just trying to stay calm and defuse the situation. Right. And so she went back down. Uh, she waited. Then all of a sudden she started hearing thuds. And she heard one of the men say, so she's like kind of like listening out the door. Mm-hmm. She heard one of the men say, tie him up right now. And at that point, she, she's, she's freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. And she comes out to try to help her husband. And just as she's coming out, she sees him throw her overboard. And she becomes hysterical. So she's trying to save her husband. She, the newspapers say pneumatic mattresses, which I'm thinking is like maybe an air raft or something. Okay. She throws it out to try to give her husband something to grasp onto so that he can save himself. The boat floats for a little bit. She she describes the men. There were two men. She says one's about 45 or 50, and the other guy was about 17 or 18. And she told the police that the older man ordered her to get calm. And he's like, if you don't want anything to happen to your daughter, you're going to do what I ask you to do. So you need to get on this canoe. So at that point, 
all three of them get on the ca- canoe because she's going to do what he says. That's her little girl. Yeah. She's thinking her husband will get on the mattress or the air mattress or whatever. I, why do they have an air mattress? It must be some sort of raft. I would or, think so. Okay. Um, so pneumatic she's thinking that ra- pneumatic, pneumatic, P-N-E-U, pneumatic mattress. She's thinking he's gonna get, ba- he's gonna save himself and get back on the boat and take care of the daughter and then come after her. So she does what he, what, you know, she gets on the boat, then they're gonna go away and her husband will get back and save himself. Okay. On the canoe, um, the man ends up raping her. He tells her, first of all, he tells her, you know what, I have a wife and three children myself. I wouldn't want anything to happen to them, so you need to do what I'm going to tell you to do so no one else is going to be hurt. So while the younger man rode the canoe, the older man sexually assaulted her. Now, I'm not disputing this could happen, but I have been on a canoe before. Yeah, there's not a lot of space. There's not a lot of space, and it's very rickety, maybe. It doesn't seem like it would stay afloat. I mean, right, my right side flip up. over. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so whatever. The police didn't believe this, but she told the police that he performed inhuman, inhumane acts on her. But she didn't tell them that she was raped right away. Okay. She kind of didn't want to say that. She didn't want to tell them what happened. Okay. Um, and just because, not to interrupt, but, um, well, I am interrupting. You are interrupting. So um, I looked it up, the pneumatic mattress. Mm-hmm. It's like... Um, it's like a, a, a float. Okay. Like you would float in the pool. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like a, yeah. One of those like pool cheap float. things? Yeah. Okay. Because um, apparently it was used, what came up was the, the great Gatsby. Oh. We're saying that Gatsby was lying on an air mattress in the pool. Okay. Which would right around the same era too, yes, right? Okay, exactly. Awesome. So, all right. Sorry. Yeah. No about worries. That. That's good. I know what a pneumatic. Air One of our listeners might know what it is, yeah. but you know, hey, we have to Google. Yeah. So, anyway, she told she eventually told police that he performed inhumane acts on her, but she didn't tell him that right away. She did say that because um, during that time, it probably wasn't something you. Well, she yeah you you know that's a source of great shame, and you wouldn't say things like and that. And maybe from the the um, the lifestyle that they led, they mm-hmm. you know that's not something they they would right. want to admit. And she or... was very she was very beautiful. She was prim and proper. She was very she was kind of an introvert. She was very quiet. Okay. And she was very lady like, mm-hmm. you know. So. Yeah. Uh, she described the younger man as being subnormal, which I looked that up, and that means just kind of lower intelligence. Okay. And she said that he had a speech impediment, but he also seemed very much afraid of the older man, she said. And she said that as soon as they rode, he was rowing while, while the rape was occurring. As soon as he rode close enough to where it was about knee deep, she said that he jumped out and ran. Like he ran through the water to the shore. Like he wanted nothing to do with what was going he was on out in that of canoe. There. Um, so he ran away. She described the older man as being powerfully built man of average height. So he's about five nine is what she said. He's about 45 or 50 with close cropped hair. Mm-hmm. She said he had the eyes of a madman. She described him as being really strong. Um, yes. Are you okay? Yeah, okay. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. All right. In the meantime, the daughter's still on the penguin. 
so that's floating around. Uh, <laughs> at about 2.30 a.m., there's a fisherman. Uh, there is a group of fishermen on a boat called Valentine. And um, Mr. Nordman, I think his name is. I can't remember his name, and I have it somewhere written down. But he ended up boarding the boat because he was calling nobody answered. And he, he's like, this boat is just adrift. I'm going to go on and make sure everything's okay. Well, when he got on, he noticed that there was disarray. It looked like there had been a struggle on the deck. He saw some blood. He saw some broken glass. He saw um, just disarray. Mm-hmm. There had he, been a struggle. There had been there was a struggle. a sign of a struggle. Right. He ended up going down to the cabin, and he found the little bait. He found a five-year-old girl sleeping. And so he woke her up, and he's like, what's going on? Where are your parents? And she said, oh, well... Well, he, this is what he told police that okay. she said. He said she told him that his that her daddy lost his job and her mommy and daddy went swimming with their clothes on. When he, hmm. uh, I wonder what would have made her think that. Like, was was there a conversation going on? Maybe was there more to the story? It that... could have been. At some point, she told police that she saw the struggle mm-hmm. and she saw two men fighting with her daddy and she told them to leave her papa alone but she never ever spoke about anything after they they kept asking questions she just stopped talking about her daddy as a matter of fact it states later that she never mentioned her father again after that night after that interrogation ever again ever again wow um, well, the boat captain, he ended up t- uh, towing the, pil- the penguin to shore, and he just handed the girl off to some random people who were there. He's like, look, I just found this boat adrift. The parents aren't on it. Take this little girl. He got back on his boat, and he went back fishing. So, yeah. He ended up getting wow. um, questioned later. The police found him later, but he had a fishing trip to go on. So oh, that's it. we can't interrupt that. At 5.30 the next morning, Lillian, the wife, was found aboard another boat called the Bo Peep. So she was um, woke up cold. She was wrapped in four blankets. And she started screaming. She saw a man somewhere in the distance. She started screaming for help. And he came. He found her wrapped in four blankets. She was bloodied and hysterical. So they thought enough of her to put... Wrap her in blankets. Right. And the blanket's significant. I'll talk about that in just a minute because that's a discrepancy the police found. Okay. Okay. So the man ends up calling the police who come and she, she says my, she tells him the story. Uh Uh-huh. My husband was tied up. He was thrown overboard. Two men took me. She didn't tell them about the assault. She didn't say anything. So they're like knowing something. They're like, what is going on? They, then they realize that she just left that part out of the story so that's the first discrepancy in her story um the second thing is which they're probably already looking for anyway yes because she's an attractive woman she's a lot younger than she's not a lot younger but she's younger than her husband Mm -hmm. um he's well you know they think oh he's wealthy he has a yacht you know she's probably got a young stud on the side and wants to kill her husband yeah um but really, they believe that her fabrication, her story was a fabrication. At first, they believe that she was involved in his disappearance. They had a lot of theories. You know, maybe he's a rum runner and he was attacked by, you know, somebody who was in that underworld. Which which I said earlier that pirates were rum runners, and that's not what I meant to say. I meant to say that sometimes during that time, during Prohibition, pirates would do what they've done here and they would attempt to board 
rum runner's boat so they could rob them. Okay. So yes. and that, that was sounds a theory like likely that they what happened. They also thought, well, maybe he's, you know, he's trying to create his own disappearance. So they thought maybe this is a fabrication on the both the couples. So they didn't okay. believe the story, to put it that way. She was don't. interrogated for hours on the ship. On the, they, they found her, they took her to the yacht, they made her reenact what happened numerous times. She Jeez. was interrogated for about six hours before she broke down in sobbing in tears. You know, I've told you everything I know. By the way, her story never changed. She did end up adding other details uh-huh. um, as far as the rape. She, she broke clean about that. At that time, her husband was considered missing. He was believed to have been kidnapped, um, and they believed that she had something to do with it. They also tore the boat apart looking for evidence. Like, they found a bloody cushion. They took that. They carved up parts of the boat. They found all this broken glass and whatnot. Um, So she she was considered a suspect for a long time. And his family, her husband's family, said, no, you know what? Her family, the townspeople, like, this woman is, she's an angel. She's the best mother. She's the best wife. There is no way. Uh, There were other discrepancies. For example, she was wrapped in four blankets. Mm -hmm. One of the blankets said Hotel Charles on it, which was a hotel in Massachusetts. Okay. And so they went, one of the investigators went to this hotel in Massachusetts and asked questions and the staff said oh yeah you know we had a blanket go missing and it was it went missing when a couple named mr and mrs collingsborn were staying here and they were from stanford connecticut wait this hotel yes knew that they were missing a blanket yes and it was from mr and mrs collingsborn from Stanford, hmm. Connecticut. Now, there was a media circus around this case. It was high profile. Like So it could have been could, just... It could have been just somebody just saying, bullshit. ooh, I'm going to get in this. Yeah. Right. Um, com- compare this to today. like the O.J. Simpson trial or the Casey Anthony trial or the media circus. Okay. And I'm going to explain why in just a little bit. But, okay. Um, they could not find a Collingsborn family anywhere Anywhere. in Stanford, Connecticut. So they had to let that leak go. They couldn't, they took handwriting samples of the registration Mm -hmm. and it did not match either, either one of the couple. I mean, that is, I mean, it's an awful coincidence, but. Yeah. If it's true. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But if they Uh, took, you know, they did their due diligence and they. Right. On the boat where she was found, they also found, like, bullets, and they found some rope, and they found really? some other things, but they couldn't tie it to anyone. Any, wow. They found a man's shoe. They found a towel. They couldn't, you know, they didn't have DNA or no, forensic uh-uh. way to check forensic evidence and things like that at the time. But the whole time they're thinking, you know, he's just been kidnapped or he's run away. But six days later, six days after the event, his body washes up on shore on the Marshall Fields estate. And it's like found the Marshall by Fields from the yeah. like Marshall's the clothing store. Yeah. Oh, Marshall Fields okay. is was a department store. It's now Marshall's <laughs> Yeah. I'm over here and, uh, with hand gestures like, yeah. you know, over here. Yeah. Like anyone can see me. So 
this is a huge estate. There's a huge mansion on this place. It's mm, amazing. Nice. This is owned by the Marshall Fields III. So it's a great grandson, I, I believe. Grandson or great grandson. Okay. There were police officers on shore because it was prohibition, and they would they would kind of like watch the shore, right. guard the shore to make sure that there were no uh, deliveries or whatever. Okay. But he ended up finding the body. And I, I swear, you know, that back in those days, they published some pretty raunchy pictures in the newspaper. I actually found a picture of Mr. Collings on the shore. He, he had been washed up. He was on his stomach. Uh-huh. And you could see that his hands were tied behind his back. His legs were tied up. Uh-huh. And you could see Gosh. that his, his head was very waterlogged. It was just very morbid. But, uh-huh. I mean, I don't think they publish things like that in the newspaper anymore do they i mean i don't no, see that much. yeah not now one thing um one thing else that i noticed is that they had probably there were probably about 15 or 20 guys surrounding his body i mean they didn't you know nowadays they like rope off the scene and make sure they checked everything if anything else washed ashore they gather evidence everything was trampled they noticed that his hands and feet were tied in expert sailor knots and they were tied tightly. Mm-hmm. They decided that a woman could not possibly tie those knots. Now, I don't Why? know if she could. Well, because I guess um, how tight they were and as well as they said that they were expert sailor knots and a woman probably wouldn't know how to do that. Oh, you know, whatever. You know, these poor women. His face and his head was so bashed in and his body was so waterlogged that he was unidentifiable. His brother ended up coming and identifying him by his ring and then also like some sort of identifying him by his teeth. So I don't know if he had like some sort of chip in his teeth or what, but dang, he was autopsied. Um, He was bound hand and foot with a special type of rope, like a jute rope. He had a whole what kind of rope. Is that I don't know. It's a very strong type of rope that's used for just on fishing boats. Huh. He had a hole in his forehead. He is slashed across his a throat. hole in his forehead. Yes, and they did find. Did I tell you they had like a gaff hook on the boat that had blood on it? Oh. So, um, well, that'll do it. Th- yeah. Um, he was bashed over the head, and there they believe it was with the milk bottle. And milk bottles in those days were very yeah. thick glass. Like he, he was badly bruised on his arms and torso. And that was another discrepancy because he was beaten so badly. And the wife never mentioned that he was beaten that badly. They're saying, well, you know, that wasn't with the story that she gave them. But if she was in the cabin, she wouldn't know she wouldn't just have how heard badly. It, right? And then, well, she might not have seen it, obviously. And... You know, what she could hear, what she couldn't hear might be up for interpretation. But if they threw him off before they... Well, and then don't forget that they had turned the motor on and they were moving. So at that point, she did hear the thud, but she did say that, you know, she kept sneaking to the door and kind of opening it a little bit. So it's possible that she heard some things, especially when the boat stopped or got turned off. Well, and you said the lights weren't working. Right. So she might not have been able to see right. in, in the confusion. She, and she did say that there was some moonlight, but she still could not see, like, very good facial features of yeah. the women. Now, when he was autopsy, this is another story. There was a Dr. Otto Schultz or Schulte, and this guy had two stories. For his first story, he said that 
that um, the husband had to have been dead before he was thrown overboard because there was no way that she would hear him scream because he was already dead. She said that the wife's story did not match the injuries on the body. Okay. So that couldn't have happened. He said her story could not have happened. But then the very next day, he said, oh, no, the man had drowned. So he was, he was um, not dead before he got thrown in the water. Yeah, if he drowned, right. then obviously right. he was in the water already, which, why... I don't understand what he how did he change his mind. Did he just become audible? Okay. Sudden, oh, I'm wrong. Well, that's very interesting. That's very interesting because not even not too long after that, um, he was he was put into an insane asylum for acts of violence. So he had a little bit of uh, insanity or you know, mental illness well, he going was on. Committed yeah. to. An institution, then. So his judgment was, was in question. Yeah. Anyway, so why was he then, even? Yeah. I don't know. Was the only one available at that time? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of crazy people in the story, and I also did like a lot. Also learned that in Long Island Sound, uh-huh. there were a lot of insane asylums, and that's what they called them then, insane yeah. asylums, yeah. around that area because it was such a beautiful area, and it's it serene, was and peaceful, serene maybe? and peaceful. Yes, okay. exactly. Um. So, now the case was a media circus, and I was going to tell mm-hmm. you why. Because not only was the wife, the wife was gorgeous. Everything, I mean, these newspaper articles, oh, she was she was a hot dame. You know, she was a beautiful dame. And they use words like these. I'm like, wow, I could you not. she's a dame, huh? But they were well off. He was, you know, he was Ivy League schooled. But not even a month before that, they found, not far from where his body was, the half-clad body of a wealthy socialite named Star Faithful. So Her name was Star Faithful? Star Faithful was oh, her name. Boy. And they weren't sure if it was murder or suicide at that point, but they believe that since she was half-clad and some other things going on, that it was a murder. So mm-hmm. now we have two bodies washed up on shore near the same place. Both very prominent people, and it was just a media circus. And they were the greatest murders mysteries of that Long Island had seen in years. Oh, wow. Now, these uh, Lillian and Ben had a wonderful marriage. There was, it was not a troubled marriage. The police at first thought, yeah, you know, well, she's killing him for his insurance. Well, he had no insurance. He lost a lot of his savings in the Wall Street in the in the crash, the stock market crash. Uh. She had an impeccable reputation. So after the incident, she rarely ever left the house. She became quite reclusive. She never remarried. Uh. Um, That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. But she was traumatized by the by the whole incident and the rape. It's it's yeah, I would it, think she so. took her a really long time to get over it. As a matter of fact, she said she never got back on another boat again. Ever. I don't think I would get on another boat again. Yeah. There were a few suspects, but no one was ever convicted of the crime. One guy named Timothy Quinn, who was in and out of the St. Asylums, matched her description. He had a wife and three kids. He hung out with a younger guy who was about the age of the young man. Okay. He fit the physical description. 
He also had clippings of the crime in his possession when he was picked up by the police. But she failed to identify him as her assailant. So um, Now, she did say it was dark, but she swore that she could identify the person by their voice. Okay. And it wasn't. She said it was not him. Then they found, they suspected another guy named Dr. William Smith. This guy was a veterinarian and um, his 21-year-old son. They were picked up in Daytona and questioned, but because they too fit the description, they also were on the Long Island Sound a lot. But his, his alibi was corroborated and they were released. Now, a few years later, in 1936, there was another guy named Gail Gilmore, a guy named Gail, uh-huh. um, a guy named Gail Gilmore. That's alliteration. <laughs> anyway, he was picked up in, oh my gosh, uh, I can't remember where, maybe Boston. But um, he was wanted in the questioning of the murder of a man with the last name Moritz. And Moritz was murdered in much the same fashion, found in much the same fashion as Jeez. the husband, Ben. So he was tied up. This guy, however, was shot and stabbed a number of times. But they believe that Gail Gilmore murdered, well, they know he murdered this guy. But they believe that he also was, he murdered Star Faithful as well as Ben Collings and murdered and raped the wife. Now, they found this guy, Gail Gilmore, because somebody identified him by the tattoos that he had on his knuckles. On his right hand, he had the word hard. On his knuckles? And then, yeah, on the left hand, luck. Now, nowadays, that wouldn't be a big thing, but no, in 1936, uh-huh. you know, that kind of tattoo would be... That would stand would out. Definitely stand out. So, he was charged with the murder of Moritz. I don't know if they ever found any evidence to convict him for any other murders. That's, the Ben Collins murder, as far as I know, is still unsolved. unsolved. Yeah. Wow. Uh, his daughter, Betsy, ended up getting married to someone in 1950. Uh-huh. So she ended up growing up and getting married to actually somebody who was from Sweden. But the wife never remarried or anything. It's really kind of sad. Wow. Oh. Whatever happened to the daughter? She just got married? And she just got heard... married and kind of disappeared. I tried to find information about her, um, and I tried to find information about her husband, and I didn't find anything. So I don't know if they left the States and went back to Sweden or what. Oh, man. Yeah. Very oh. interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. It makes me want to really find out what happened to him. Yeah, me too. You know, but it was a long time I, ago. Listen, I was intrigued by this murder, and I just put in pirate murder, so. Yeah, that's yeah. one way to yeah. come up with... A murder that hasn't been played out over right. and over again, yep. you know. Yep. All right. Well, great. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. All right. Well, um, that's the end of episode three. Thank you for tuning in. And um, again, please visit our website. It, uh, well, what is our website? It wasn't me. It wasn't me, truecrime.com. <laughs> and there you can link up with our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, please leave us um, a rating. Five, five stars, stars, please. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Um, and tell us what your favorite murder is. Yes. Please leave us your feedback. It's important. All right. And always remember, it wasn't, it wasn't me. me.